Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Dear Lafayette College's first official podcast. We are all excited to really jump into these different discourses and conversations with you all about Lafayette and the world. Um, I'm very, very excited to be able to start off this conversation. My name is Tyler Cook. I'm a senior here at Lafayette College, double major in, in anthropology, anthropology and sociology, as well as English, and involved with so many different pillars of like the community um, at Lafayette, which we'll be able to talk a little bit about more later on. But uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it to Fatimata. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Fatimata. I'm a sophomore here at Lafayette. I'm a double major in government law and international affairs. Um, also really involved in a lot of social justice, activism on campus and off campus. Um, and now I'm going to pass it on to Milena. Hi, everyone. My name is Milena Beresko. Um, speaking of majors, I'm a psychology and theater double major and women general studies minor. I am a junior. I think I said that already. But I'm a local to Rzeszów, Poland and New York City. And I'm accomplice to BIFO community in their struggle for equality and equity. I'm a writer, an activist, and a scholar. Great. So we are the ones that will sort of be hosting and I guess having a conversation with you all during our first podcast. And really, most importantly, the reason we really wanted to uh, start the podcast is really um, because we wanted to have a digital archive for um, a lot of the material and the themes and like the conversations that we uh, want to get on. We hope that this isn't the last podcast and that um, a lot of people of our Lafayette community and even outside of it um, can find interest and find some sort of uh, familiar familiarity in our experiences and um, just a place where they can join in, listen, and um, just enjoy some really, really good conversations with amazing students. Yes, everything Tyler said. So the Dear Lafayette a black-led student mission here at the college dedicated to systemic racism and um, our scholars, student leaders, and abolitionists, our goal is to dismantle any system that does not promote the truth and equity at all persons regard. So now we will start um, with answering some questions, so we'll open up a conversation here. So the first question I have for Tyler and Fatimata is, what does it mean for you guys to be Black at Lafayette? Um, all right, it's, that's such a very powerful question to hop off on. Um, I guess something that instantly hits my mind when I think about uh, being Black here at Lafayette, and that's like just one part of my identity here, is just the feeling of sort of, or this sort of duality between feeling invisible and like visible at the same time in a sense. Um, I don't know, I feel like, you know, people feel my presence here on this campus and, you know, I've made a lot of amazing connections, but sometimes, you know, you have moment where moments on this campus, um, whether in classrooms, whether at events or like or around certain people where you just feel invisible or you feel like um, there's sort of this disconnect between your identity and your experiences. And sometimes that can be a little, um, I don't know, stressful and like it angers me sometimes. But yeah, it's just, it's really um, interesting how I hop between like feeling sometimes hyper visible and then sometimes feeling like very, very invisible. So, but yeah, um, Malena, I guess the 
sort of switch the question up a little bit. Sort of what does it mean for you to be an ally, um, you know, at Lafayette? <laughs> well, thank you for asking that. <laughs> um, I think it truly connects to what you guys said, what Fatimata and you, Tyler, have said just a minute ago, which is for you to be, like, hyper-visible and then at the same time invisible or ignored. I think at Lafayette, when we think of white people, it's almost like thinking of an enemy of a person who you would expect to be the bad guy. You would expect to be the one who is not listening, um, who is supporting the stereotype and is not truly educated about racial struggle and like any kind of, I would say, movements for equality. So I think what it means for me to be an ally is just to break these stereotypes. What I mean by stereotypes, I mean those that have been associated with BIPOC community, but also to go against the tide and become the good white guy, you know, become a person who is an ally, but also in no way is um, myself, I'm not part of a BIPOC community. Like it doesn't stop me from fighting for you guys because I truly believe in equality and just this idea of, not idea, but notion of white supremacy, this whole system, it's hurting all of us. And I see that and I recognize that the only way to stop that is for the majority to fight for the minority. And like, that's what I want to do. And also being an accomplice is like, I would take a blow for you. And not just because I know you, but because I truly believe in you and in humanity, in people. So I think that my purpose is to keep fighting for everyone, but most importantly, for you guys. Yeah, and just like hearing you say that, it just makes me think about something that's always in my mind as like thinking about um, abolition and like just this new world where we can escape um, sort of white supremacy and all these different forms of oppression that in the end affect us all, um, you know, it really makes me think a lot about um, how important it is for everyone to come together. Like, it honestly takes everyone of, you know, all different identities to really end these, you know, this white supremacy in these different forms. And a lot of people, they don't realize it, but it's, it really is important. And, you know, the issues that we face, uh, I don't know, I don't want to sound weird, but it's like, is inherently not a black problem mm. or like, you know, it's, it's, that's just not what it is, but it's something that we have to deal with every day because of the power dynamics and, you know, uh, just the history of this country and things like that. So like, I really, really resonate with what you said. Yeah. And also even what you said right now, it's like, you are aware of it because it affects you so much. And like white folks oftentimes are not aware of what's truly happening because like, we're so used to privilege that we don't, we can't imagine what it means not to have it. So it's mm -hmm. the idea of like, you have to actively seek um, to educate yourself, seek to like put other people's shoes, to put yourself in other people's shoes. And that takes courage and takes action, but like it is nevertheless necessary and essential to do because that's the only way to really end struggle and step closer equality yeah and i think that's what goes with active allyship because or, or being an accomplice is because you 
suddenly realize that the system benefits me, but I have to do something about it. And it takes a lot of, like you said, courage for people who have or benefit from the system to actually want to reimagine a new one that benefits all people and not just them. Right. Mm-hmm. I like also thought about it so many times in the sense of even the fact that we are attending Lafayette College, right? Like that is a huge privilege on its own. And I, I would never think of myself being in a space a few years ago when I was still living in Poland. That's just like the frank reality. Um, but like thinking of the legacy, right? La- legacy of Lafayette. Lafayette mm-hmm. is the structure itself, right? Like it's institutional racism. That's the very blueprint of it. So mm-hmm. just thinking of legacy and yeah, like what is Lafayette's legacy? And more specifically, is it only white folks' legacy? Is there a space for a BIPOC community? Has a space been created? What do you think? Do we think that Black, that BIPOC community, BIPOC students have a legacy at Lafayette? I think BIPOC students have a legacy at Lafayette. The question is like whether or not that legacy is visible and has been made visible. I feel like time and time again, mm-hmm. I see BIPOC students who contribute so much to this campus but get nothing in return. Um, and it's interesting to think about like how we live in a society where, you know, college is such a big deal. Like people, people pay attention to like, like people based on what college they go to, their credibility and stuff. And like for black students that graduate from this institution, that's not enough. It's not enough to have a college degree um, because, you know, they live in a society that discriminates against them solely because of their skin color. So it's like, we have a legacy here. Like we know that there's a legacy, like our footprint is large because the moment that we step foot on this campus, we know that it wasn't built for us and we have to navigate it and cultivate it in a way so that it's, you know, we make it for us and for like people that come after us. So I think we have a legacy here, but it's just not been made visible. Mm-hmm. And to just add on that, cause I completely agree. Um, and I think like sometimes we can like, I don't know how to word it, but I completely agree. I feel like our, le- our legacy is not visible. And because of that, um, some just my experiences and being here like for a couple of years now is just I always felt like my legacy has been like connected to this sense of tokenism mm-hmm. as like me being like my presence at this institution is really because of um the history of what like my ancestors had to deal with how we were sort of displaced and the different forms of oppression we had to deal with is like sort of why I'm here today like sometimes I think of like my position at Lafayette which is like I don't think of this all the time, but sometimes, you know, when you're black um, or, you know, when you're a person of color, you do think about these things. And it's like, am I only here because of some like affirmative action or is because people look at me like a black person who isn't really intelligent and incapable of being here? But because we're all about diversity and inclusion in the world now um, and white saviorism that, you know, we're going to do what we can to make sure that this student is here. And once this student is here, you know we got them there so let's pat them on the back for that but what comes next is always sort of interesting yeah Um, I completely and you know what's crazy about that though it's like like once they accomplish this so-called quota like we're not given the resources like when we get like when we are here and like we are in the situation right now like with the coalition that we created like mm -hmm. we're in the situation where like we're asking we're asking but it's like 
shouldn't have already been included like shit like how many years have gone by where like this stuff like students come here black students come here they meet this like so-called quota for this campus but like y'all not giving them the resources y'all not you know showing up for them when they need you you know mm-hmm. yeah like we've been all digging and searching for demands from the past and manifestors and like what have we found the same demands we have, maybe not the same, but our blueprint, like the very foundation of demands we have created um, this year, the five demands we have released. And then in the past, when we have released our set of demands, they were based on the ones from the past because like, they have not been met. So just thinking about, like, as you said, like, yeah, it seems like legacy is there. Like legacy is present, but it's not... It's not being heard. It's not being recognized. It's not being made. It's not being made visible by the very administrators and those who have power at mm-hmm. Lafayette. Yeah, and even thinking also of Portland, the whole conversation of moving the place again. It was not the first time. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the legacy that uh, BIPOC students, especially students that are involved in this sort of work, the legacy that we continue to see is, like y'all said, looking at the archives that have happened and the uh, the history behind these students who have tried to come up with these demands and show Lafayette exactly what our experiences is like and what why we need what we need literally give detailed blueprints of like experiences and details of alternatives of what can be done to like better our lives and the legacy that we get out of that is as if it's just not heard it's like it's not comprehended is like out of the archives that we have seen and out of like just releasing demands is like the response is always like, oh, this is entertaining. Wow, like a group of students did this. This is so fascinating. This is the talk of the campus. But like outside of that is like the legacy is that it doesn't go nowhere from that. And I think that's entirely What's crazy to me though is like like what you said, it's like it angers me because it's like so easy for them to brush what happens under the rug like why is my existence so easy for you to brush under the rug and not care about when i've contributed like i am risking literally risking my safety to be on this campus if you think about it like if we look at the confines of this campus it's not really safe for students of color um especially like with the um experience that came out over the summer like you know relationships with like peace save and other things of that nature like mm-hmm. it's not safe for us but we still show up to our classes we still do what we need to do, but it's like it's easy for y'all to brush like our experiences under the rug like they're nothing. But even more so, like even even adding to that is not even that um, your experience is being brushed over. Like you're literally exploited in a sense. Right. Of you're you're invited to come to the space. Your pictures are present in the website. Right. Belong in Lafayette, whatever it might be, you name it. But then, like as you say, like you don't you don't even have guaranteed protection to get to your class or get back safely to your dorm so it's the idea of while you're here while you're at Lafayette you're very much used for the purpose of the school itself but then you're not guaranteed that you're going to graduate you're going to stay alive for the full years and I think it's terrible to say it's really horrifying to say but it's a very that's a very truth Lafayette seems to be doing very little to change that and just thinking of legacy in that sense, like it seems that this ignorance, pluralistic ignorance, and just collective 
misunderstanding or lack of understanding is like very much embedded within the walls of Lafayette mm. within the very administration and even like it is a terrible thing to say but even those you would think would be the allies like within administration because of their heritage because of their identities tend to go to the opposition tend to change their side because I don't know is it like being bought is it like I don't know changing your side because it seems to be more comfortable I have no idea but it seems to be very present here Hmm. I definitely agree with you and I just I was just thinking about something this isn't really off topic but like it's so mind-blowing to me how like Lafayette has some of the most innovative intelligent like fierce mind-blowing faculty and like staff and administrators that I have like met never met in my life who are just so smart and so powerful you know we've sit in classes and we've have been taught about things that we've already known because it's our own experiences but we know about like the uh racism we know about these different disparities that we have to go through and things like that and it's always so mind-blowing for me it's like y'all are literally teaching us about our experience or at least trying to in a sense but like teaching us like oh the history of you know how we've you know been displaced and teaching us um just all the struggles we have to go through and a lot of like thinking about the humanity sides of Lafayette like people a lot of people do research on these things have so much knowledge and can talk for hours and hours and hours about sort of the inequality that we see at the institution outside of it but it's like when it finally finally comes down to do the actual the practice instead of the preaching I don't know what I don't know because yeah it's like because for them it's like easy it's like it's acute imagination like it's a dream like it's like something like it's cute to talk about a dream, but it's like it's hard because it's not their reality. And like I was thinking about this the other day, like in one of my classes, we were talking about like the three stages. Lafayette is very much in the third, like the first stage, I believe, which is like just thinking that, you know, diversity is a solution um, and not mm-hmm. it begs the question, like, do I have to face the reality of the fact that my institution is just racist? You know, it's like mm. they don't want to. It's like, and this is like with any predominantly white institutions. Like, do I come to terms with the fact that my institution is just racist and has continually perpetuated this racism through our, our our ideologies, through our faculty, and like, even with like white liberals, they do this all the time where they're like, "Oh my, I'm not racist because like." of my belief and my ideology, but are you doing the internal work necessary within yourself to realize that you may just be racist? Like you may just be mm-hmm. contributing to this system and like you don't see the harm that you're perpetuating. I don't know. It's just, it angers me. <laughs> it angers me. <laughs> no, and I think that takes us to, you know, our other question about like, why are BIPOC students of race from Lafayette's history? And like, just me thinking about, you know, how it is for me being black and being queer and like uh, the interchangeability of my identity is just, you know, it always takes me back to sort of like the foundation of this institution and like some of its, what's at the core of its structures is very, very anti-black, very racist and very heteronormative. And sometimes it's like, 
I have this wave of feeling of sometimes I don't belong here. It shows when I'm walking outside on the quad. It shows when I'm sitting in the class. It shows when I'm trying to have lunch and lower. Like, sometimes you just get that wave of feeling, like, you know, it just feels weird. And then the, uh, I don't know, for me, and it's so interesting because, like, when when I'm here, like, all my family know and all my family give me is, like, we are so proud Mm. of you. Like, not a lot of people like you can mm-hmm. be where you are today and you need to understand mm-hmm. that and da, 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 da. And I'm just like, no, you said it right. Not a lot of people can be where like I am. And it's like, why are we so okay mm. to sit with that? Mm. That is, a, ooh, ooh, yes. Like, uh, there, mm-hmm. it's crazy because the institution is okay with having this small number of Black students on campus because it feels this quota like it fills the presence but like that's not enough you know and it's like they're mm-hmm. they're okay with it because i don't think that they want to face the the music the noise of the room i also think like as you were talking both tyler and you fatimata like i was just thinking about the idea of how much do we really see of black or bipoc students at lafayette like where are you truly represented so, like, the AP archive, you have some newspaper articles, maybe. You have the demands from the past, maybe Posse, some pictures on the website that, you know, are used to actually promote Lafayette as a, as a diverse and welcoming, inclusive school that it isn't. So, things of that sort, I think it's it's very much promotional, very much just enough to show yourself that you're a good school, just enough to pass as a non-racist or progressive space. But when it comes down to like what it actually is, that is a mirage, like it doesn't truly exist. So I think that's why maybe the question even isn't of being erased, but not being like remembered, not being anyhow Mm -hmm. like... I don't, I don't know how to say that, but like for you, no, you for get you in there. It's basically like, like generally recorded in the history, not to be erased, but not to be like mm-hmm. recorded in it as part of it. They and it's crazy because they don't mm-hmm. want it to be recorded. Um, like you know, with all the demands that like we were seeing in the archives and stuff, it's just like I don't know. I don't remember what. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but what it's public information. I'm allowed to say this. Um, go ahead. The, 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 the situation with the ABC office. Oh. Like, oh, what? What? Listen, that's a whole I mean, I other would just For those who are listening right now and don't have the context, Fatimata, please elaborate. So what I read was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I read was basically, I believe the, the N-word the hard, with the hard R was written across the door. And then the next day it was gone. Like, and there was no enter, there was nothing done. Like there was no discussion about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Which is crazy to me. Like, honestly, just thinking about that, like. Child, that would have made me want to leave this campus. <laughs> just thinking about that. Yes. Yeah, so, so on that other note, for that long list of demands we made, I'm just going to put out there, let's get that ABC office back, please, again, too. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. honestly, like that, 
if, if administration is listening, which I'm sure they will be listening, let's look, let's get that office back. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it is important. Mm-hmm. But, like, what y'all were talking about, it just, like, kept making me think about how just historically, um, you know, we've been sort of engineered to just function as simply just a commodity. Um, so, like, when thinking about that feeling of being erased or even having a legacy, it's like you said, Melina, what about just simply being there, being present, being visible? Like, you know, visible not just of the flesh, but visible of, like, the soul, of the mind, like, of the heart, like, being actually um, considered mm. a human, because we know it wasn't too long ago where we, you know, we weren't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that, you're so right, but also, like, what I've noticed at Lafayette is that it is not just... BIPOC community, BIPOC students who are present, it's so selective as of like, what kind of Black folk are you going to select or choose to join your community? So it's still like very much shaping even your own image, shaping you to fit the image of Lafayette. And that's so problematic. And it's just very much against of any idea of equality, any idea of inclusivity, because it's not just welcoming you. It's welcoming the idea of you, of who you can become, to present Lafayette as a diverse person. I don't want social... The truth is, like, I'm pretty sure, like, if Lafayette can rescind my admission, they would. Because they don't want, like... <laughs> <laughs> they don't want... <laughs> they don't shake the on this campus. They don't want social justice people here. Like, they, they don't want to be critiqued or criticized about their institution. Like... Even with someone as brilliant as Savannah, like I'm pretty sure, like the institution like doesn't appreciate her as much as they should, um, because they don't want like her critiques, you know? Yeah, and I mean, just to like mm-hmm. point out what you said, like shake the room. They don't want people to have to shake the room. Paul CDC was supposed to be resigned just last year, and then wow. a few years ago, it's like there's literally forty people per four years <laughs> so 10 people per year from posse dc correct and you're like no that's a little too much it's the idea of like how much is too much how much is enough Do you mm. need, like like you know what i mean like is are you satisfied with five black kind quiet people like is that sure. enough for you you know what i mean like what do you want truly what do you want and then when you organize and you speak up, you try to make a difference. You got faculty, you got people that should be in your corner, honestly and truly, in other spaces and in other corners talking about how it's just a small group of Black people that are just angry and just don't like these people because they're white. Because everybody always thinks that as soon as people of color are upset, it's really because that the person is white. And we know it's much, much, much more complicated Because look, if that. you think about it, this is also a socioeconomic issue. This is also like mm-hmm. immigration issue. Like mm-hmm. racism at its core, it relates to all these other issues. Like I was talking to a low income white student the other day on our campus and how like even affordable housing on our demands is an issue to them. Because what people don't realize is when black people are at the core, the most minoritized group of people at its core 
feel uplifted in your community everything else will be automatically fixed yes because all of these issues are intrinsically linked to racism right. like i don't know why it's so hard for people to comprehend okay honest i don't think it's about comprehending it <laughs> i think it's just no no truly yeah I yeah it's about comprehending it it's the very idea is like if you have to go out of your lane, if you have to go out of your just regular day-to-day schedule to mm. educate yourself on racism, to seek out different people's opinions, that for some seems to be a lot of work. Work. Mm. You yeah. know? And like, it's just the idea of, that is the very essence of what privilege and power is. Mm-hmm. If you have so much privilege, you do not feel anyhow encouraged or tempted to seek out different groups of people and learn about their history and their culture and their heritage then you're just saying that like i am the most important person in this room i am mm-hmm. the most important the most important individual and if you are suffering well it doesn't doesn't touch me it doesn't affect me anyhow so why would i change that but those are the exact very folks we have to reach because they're right. the ones have the most power and if we can change their perspective there's oh my gosh so much we can do but like, yeah, it takes a lot, right? And as you said, like, these folks do not want to hear those who want to shake up the room because mm-hmm. the room is so well organized. Like everything mm-hmm. is in place. Everything has its mm-hmm. own structure. If you break that structure, there's chaos coming in. In their mm-hmm. very mind, there's this chaos. So when you think of that, like ideology, that kind of metaphor, anything that is close to equality is actually against structure against organization yep. against old system of being so if you if you introduce something new a novelty that actually would be closer to equality but it's different to what's currently present that's chaos that's fear and fear the very normal human response is to attack is to respond with like literally anger or fight or flight response you would fight so that's why it's so complicated it just really it's all of it is that it's a it's a whole structure of power privilege and it's you know it could be a domino effect but for it to happen you have to have a lot of voices and a lot of people who are willing to stand up for what's right and at Lafayette currently exactly and a lot of money capitalism I'm telling you it's crazy yeah oh my gosh I'm like I feel like I've oof. <laughs> This was a lot. <laughs> a serious. Like. I think. Informal <laughs> we sign coming here. Like. It's like. Lafayette. Like what obligation does Lafayette have to us? Like that. Since we agreed to come here. You know. And it's like on their end. They may feel like. Mm-hmm. They've met their obligations. You know. Accepting us here. That was enough. They don't have to do anything else. Mhm. Mhm. And then they're so they feel so protected behind. I don't know why it's. I don't know why this is in so many like as far as administrative like in their heads, but it's like they're so protected or like not aware of the toll this has on students. And like when I mean like uh, protected in a sense is where it's like they're comfortable in letting these stu- students always be at the front lines and trying to actually make things better and make things better and then as we keep doing it then it's like the other side of it. it's like they're always telling us we need y'all to step up because we don't know what the campus life is we can only know if students talk to us and we mm-hmm. do more than talk to y'all and actually 
like give y'all materials, give y'all like all this different knowledge, all these different experiences, and then it's like a smack right in the face again, or it's uh, X, Y, and Z, or next thing you know, something, some natural disaster happens that nobody has control of, and then people's like, oh, we can find some sort of sanctuary in COVID now, because when Black people want to beg for stuff and need X, Y, and Z, COVID is just, uh, I feel like, a backup solution to ignoring our problems. Like, I don't know. I want to pause here for a second, and I hear us talk a lot about, like, they, their, Lafayette, and I just want to acknowledge that we are part of Lafayette, right? So who are we exactly talking mm-hmm. about when you're saying they? They don't want to listen. They don't want to change. Who are we referring to? <laughs> the whole community. <laughs> no, it's not. Because we are part of the community. <laughs> well, I think what we're talking about, I think these type of conversations, they need to happen. So like, People need to hear these things. So what we're doing right now, this is really, really amazing. But I say the whole community because, I don't know, when we walk away from this podcast, I feel like everything we discuss, it got to be eternalized because at the end of the day, it really, really, really is important. But, like, I was just being funny when I said everybody. But, like, I really think that is the people, and we already know how how complicated it is going up the ladder, um, of hierarchy and such, but those who are literally like, who has the voice, who has that power, who has the voice, and who has access to the money. I forgot who I was interviewing with, or who was I talking to? Somebody was talking to, oh, actually, when we was at the that ABC um, meeting type of thing, and one of the alumni, he, what did he say? He was like, the person y'all need to get to is um the college lawyer or something like that i think he said like the college attorney and we wouldn't even know who that is i wouldn't even i wouldn't even know where to look for that like if i wanted to you know what i mean so it's so interesting when we know that the power dynamics come into a play here um and like to answer that question but we don't know like which way to go we seem to always get turned around and spin around it's like oh i'm the power even though i'm the president so we're talking about those who have the most power, administrators, I guess those who are deemed to be leaders at Lafayette by their position, who we often don't even know who they are, but they have a huge impact on us. Right, and like power is all about perception and mm-hmm. power itself is a social construct because like to, in our eyes, sometimes we thought, oh, like the president of the college has power, but hey. Mm-hmm. We've learned that there's a lot of amazing, and like I was talking about earlier, talented, innovative, wise, brilliant, amazing faculty that actually have a lot of power and can make these sort of, um, or push for these sort of structural changes. And like, that's why I said, I always be mind blown because it's like us as students can sit in the class and really be told about our experience and be told about the structural violence and be told about the assaults and all these different things. And like I said, it's the practice, but not, the preach or it's the teaching yeah. but, I yes. what I said earlier, but y'all know what I mean it's yeah. like you know what I mean it's like that. that's what it is we uncovered a lot but let's mm-hmm. go the next part of our podcast this episode which is thinking about what we want to carry into the future so what would we want not to be forgotten from this current current moment into the future so what we want not to be a 
East, lost in the cracks of history. What what we what we would want to make sure that is recorded, that is part of the history of this moment. Hmm. I think for me, I think for me, I like there's an emphasis on like the problems, right? So we see the archives like with the demands and the problems, but I would like the solutions to be recorded. Like I want the work of our coalition to be existent in history because I want people to see that there were students actually working towards these things and like administration, like the college the institution was provided with these these solutions, but nothing was done about it. I completely agree with that. And I think like I want to add on um, to like how important Dear Lafayette was and like how we sort of took that added step as far as to be like, I guess, perpetuated and um, producing this sort of trauma porn that we see that go on through our experiences, but taking that next step to actually um, try to seek some sort of accountability and seek some sort of transparency um, is you know, we've seen a lot of organizations and um, students on campus in the past come together and try to do it. And I feel like it was something really interesting and powerful that had happened in 2020 specifically, like where, I don't know, I just felt like uh, Dare Lafayette College, you know, was taken a little bit more seriously. And um, even though I feel like that's even kind of weird to say, because we still have our challenges um, that we're dealing with. But I really, really agree with your point. And I also wanted to add that something I think that has happened in this moment that really, really needs to continue is as far as like with students here, I think there has been a much more push for, um, and not enough, but I have seen a more like focus on like intersectionality um, through a lot of different like um, outlets on campus. And most importantly, like we're talking about um, the queer community, cause I am queer, mm. I do wanna see that continue to sort of happen. So looking at intersectionality, and like I said earlier, understanding that at the core of this college is heteronormativity because um yes racism is an issue but like one thing that has been so apparent um in this year is how um we sort of forget about um you know sexuality and forget about you know queer folks so just i want to see the legacy of intersectionality and um, thinking about um sort of what's at the heart of the college and like who sort of is getting yeah, left out or I whatnot agree. i think for me what I would truly want to see be part of this current moment history is every single loss we take to be recorded. Mm. And I truly mean it because history is told through the perspective of those who have won. Mm. You know, it's a story of a lion, not the prey that gets told. So in this system, it's white supremacy, it's systemic racism, it's those who have the most power that usually are people for the most privilege who get to shape the story, who get to decide which person gets to talk, gets to be heard. And there have been so many meetings we had talking to departments, talking to different um, leaders in our community as of Lafayette College that would say, correct, that like, oh, but we've done this, we've done that, that's a specific statement we've shared, but it's mm -hmm. only words and it's not action. So these people have defended themselves, defended their lack of action, lack of work, if oh, we put up a statement. But that each thing they mark as a victory, mm -hmm. as a step forward to egalitarianism, is still a loss for us. 
So I would want that to be very clear that every single demand we have expressed that was not voiced was still at least a battle for us. Maybe got lost, maybe we lost, but it was something we have tried to do. And I would really want that to be recorded. So for future people, so future, for future De Lafayette mm-hmm. organizers, for future generations to come in general, Lafayette students, to know where we left off, to know where we've lost, so they can just pick up the armor and keep fighting. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing I know that we can leave behind, and I don't know. This is probably going to sound a little problematic, but I think we need to really reorganize the, the structures of what we when we think of diversity and inclusion, because for too long, I feel like the college has like paraded by this sense of like all students are equal idea. And I feel like it's shown in and out of the classrooms, whereas like with faculty and well, like with just different mentors and like administration is like we have this notion of having to treat students all the same is not good and it's definitely not going to help in the work that we're trying to do, especially because if you truly understand the structures of this institution, then you know that um, that just it, that method just doesn't work. And you have to organize your resources uh, to those who best need it and best deserve it. And yeah, because the threshold is still thinking of a middle-class white student who has gone to somewhat good school, correct? So like treating everyone equally, mm-hmm. every student who is, you know, coming from a quote-unquote good background, you know? So I understand what you're saying. I totally mm-hmm. hear you on that. Yeah, I, I know. Like when you have to work a four hours to provide for like your family and you're still trying to get a sense of education and have to worry about so many different things and you know you mm-hmm. get called out because you what miss an assignment and you can't get a, a you can't even get an extension because it wouldn't be fair to Matt in the back who <laughs> showed up in class and everything is rainbow and butterflies but for me I stayed up 27 hours you know a night trying to get my life together and still trying to be on top of that beat being a good student when God knows I'm tired as hell. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that that diversity and inclusion thing, I need that to, Yeah. you know, the structure has to change. And I'm glad that there is students in there who are fighting for it, but, like, we always know it's always that brick wall because you're not like, listening. we're telling you and It's been only, honestly, right. I think during this beginning months of the pandemic, and maybe now to some extent too, but not so much, that, like, professors and maybe students too but mostly professors have emphasized the structure of take care of yourself rest you know like I as a professor Mm -hmm. can be more flexible um you know with deadlines or whatever else because I know what struggle you're going through but when you just think of it like that should Mm -hmm. be the same exact structure applied to your life being like you know Systemic racism, <laughs> racism in general, like all these structures existing within the U.S. have put you in a lower position. You deserve to have a pass in some things because of how much you have to go through. And like folks who say like, oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. not equality. Yeah, it's not. It's equity. Like, you know, like you can do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I guess it just brings us to the very last question that we want to um address which is 
how does utopian Lafayette look uh, look like? Mm. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a good question. If you can envision it, we can achieve that. I, I won't think... say how quickly, but we can. It says it in Dear Lafayette's mission itself. Like we believe in abolishing, you know, these systems. And I think it takes real imagination and real optimism to believe that you, we can imagine mm-hmm. a new campus. And I think for me, obviously, in a utopia, the people that have been constantly minoritized are at the center of it all. Black folks, that's being um, non-binary folks, that's being <laughs> Black Muslim people. That's That's what a utopia to me looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is, I think a, utop- a utopia <laughs> looks like, oh, I can't even talk no more. Wow. I think a utopia to me, and I think this might be a little bit more, hmm, I think this is something that we probably can see or I can envision happening probably more sooner than long-term. Because I think right. when we talk about right. a utopia, we get into abolition of thought and like transformative justice. Right. And that's where things get really, really complex. And I think to say something that people might resonate with, I think a utopia to me might be having people in a space um, and at the pillar, like I completely agree with you, Fatimata, but like to expand on that is like people who are willing to even and mm. are able to do this sort of mm. imagining. Like, I think that's what's important. I, I do genuinely believe, like, Black queer people and BIPOC people do need to be at the front lines. They do need to be, even though, like, I really think that the structures of the institution should change. Like, I was going to say, like, we need this more representation on, like, the board of trustees and then the president's right. cabinets. But we honestly don't even really need those structures if thinking about those type of things. But to say something that might be a little bit more, I, I guess, things that could, something that could be more envisioned is, yeah, I have to say, m- having more people who can do this sense of imagination. And I think that to get there, the college need to stop being so greedy. All that money, y'all need to start turning to outs- outside resources that do this sort of like anti-racist work, that do this um anti-queer um, or like homophobic, like that actually people who spend their lives doing it. And stop being greedy and trying to hire somebody from a department below, <laughs> give them a new title, and then say that they're going to do workshops. Like, that doesn't work. I'm you know sorry I mean? because so, I'm sorry yeah, because that, that's I'm actually how that. it works on our campus for those listening. Like, honestly, it's like even the other day at our meeting, sorry to take this off track, but even at our other meeting, like, somebody was like, We want mm-hmm. a DI like count like act exactly someone who's hired specifically for a diversity and inclusion position but like the college refuses like it's hard for the college to imagine mm-hmm. i don't know it's exactly what tyler said like yeah that's what i have to say mm-hmm. right it's all about the control um, but yeah, Melina, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, what comes I couldn't agree mind? more with what you were saying, but I think when I think of Utopian Lafayette, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of specific characteristics, and those can be applied broadly, but also understood and analyzed broadly. But things that come to things that come to my mind are mm-hmm. compassion, understanding, and a true meaning of community. 
mm-hmm. when you have people supporting one another. And as you mm-hmm. said before, like Lafayette truly doesn't even need administration. It's just the idea of like we're so used to the system, the structure when there's someone at the top that we cannot comprehend just people working together. And I would want to see that. I would want to see people helping mm-hmm. people. Um and just like genuinely seeking mm-hmm. to understand what makes us a community? What do we need as a community? And um, just speaking on scholarship and speaking on academia in general, just like seeking new voices, you know, not necessarily the most sophisticated vocabulary professors speaking, you know, like things like that. More so people who sp- speak plainly, using mm-hmm. plain language, but can speak to their crowds. They, they, they can, like, I want to see that, you know, because education doesn't happen mm-hmm. only within the space of any kind of school it happens on the streets happens everywhere in the park outside mm-hmm. whatever you're doing whatever you're doing i think that needs to be explored more of like what it means to actually study or to educate someone who is an educator how can we become um one how we can become educators to one another it's like, like yeah it's like mm-hmm. giving people space to be authentically themselves yeah because like like you said like language is a big thing like as as an institution the way we talk about like scholarly work like i can't sit there and like use aav like what i'm talking about so talking to a professor about we work because they view that a non-credible as not scholarly um, it's making space for people to be authentically themselves. I think in a utopia, that's what I envision as well. Like when someone can get up, like walk into a space and feel comfortable, feel like they can say whatever's on their mind without any repercussions. Like not just like say what mind, but like say <laughs> what they think can contribute to a broader, broader perspective without feeling like they need to change up their vocabulary or like say it in a way that doesn't affect like say it in a way that doesn't deconstruct from the conversation, I think we can actually move somewhere. And like, in my culture, we believe that like racism is kind of like a disease if you think about it, because it lies within someone's heart. And I feel like Mm -hmm. people, human beings need to do a lot of inward work within themselves um, in order for there there to be like Mm -hmm. this idea of a utopia. Like, like someone a lot of people you hear a lot of people say like someone's not born racist like you know they're taught to be racist um my point is like it is a disease that grows within their heart and i feel like just speaking in order for us to be more passionate towards one another like people need to really try and rid themselves of this disease Mm-hmm. And you get at like such a powerful point, which would definitely make way for a, probably another podcast. But like speaking to just how with capitalism, we see that we live in a country where there's like not this sort of sense of individuality. Like the way that we're structured to like navigate is really um like through whatever is the most fast mm-hmm. and efficient. And I think that's why we sort of struggle um to establish a sense of individuality because we've never even been able to establish a sense of like peoplehood um as far as like understanding like who i don't know i think a lot of human beings have to understand who they are like i guess through connecting themselves with someone else i don't know if that's a stretch to say but i know like sometimes you know you think about 
I don't know. We have, you, I don't know, as people, like, you you know, we compare ourselves to one another. And I think that a part of, um, for some people, I think that's like a process too, where, you know, people get whooped into think, can, thinking of their ad- identity compared with someone else's. And I think that in this country, we've just really struggled to be able to be our own individual selves. I don't even think like, um, I don't want to say that, but it's hard to honestly know what that means sometimes. Um, you know what I mean? And I think that's very, very, very important in a utopia to be able to actually right. look at yourself sometimes as an individual. That's the thing, like, at the core of this question is the assumption that our community, our current community, is not perfect. It's not utopian. It's far from being a utopia. And for us to acknowledge mm-hmm. that, it is one thing. But I don't think there are too many folks who can actually say that, you know? So it's like just the very idea of first mm-hmm. noticing the issues so you can even imagine what could be the solution. But the very first step is for you to acknowledge that there are issues yeah. in our community. And that, for many, is not the, mm-hmm. the case. It's not at the top of, you know, at the forefront of their minds. So... That's also where I'm trying to like kind of encourage folks to think about it. Right. If you're listening, yeah. like really reflect upon your own <laughs> life <laughs> and your privileges. Right. All right. I am so utterly grateful to talk to you for this past hour, truly. Like just talking to you, Fatimato, talking to you, Tyler, hearing you both speak is so empowering and so inspirational. Oh my gosh. This has been amazing, and I hope that there is more to come. Um, like, we don't envision us always being the ones to, like, be on all the podcasts. We really was just excited to be on the first one and really wanted to do this project, and we all work well together. So we really hope in the future that you'll get to hear a lot of uh, different voices and different perspectives, you know, as well. about so like, Stay what tuned for more um, episodes to come. This podcast is not sponsored which means that if you want to pay for our time, for what we are talking about, for everything we've shared, and also support our community, you can donate to Dear Lafayette Mutual Aid. So our mission is um, is a collective of current BIPOC students and alumni dedicated to building people's power and amplifying shared access to housing, food, material, and financial resources for Black and Indigenous students at Lafayette College. Lafayette Mutual Aid Aid aims to provide a decentralized but cohesive BIPOC student support system to coordinate and connect mutual aid efforts on College Hill. We aim to build the student power necessary to dismantle oppressive systems and provide sustainable structures for long-term investment. Lafayette Mutual Aid believes that mutual aid is the foundation toward liberation. We stand in solidarity with the communities we serve and look forward to working with with you throughout this journey. So if this resonated with you, you can donate at Laugh Mutual Aid or using Cash App at Lafayette Mutual Aid. So please consider donating and that's going to help us sustain our mission. Thank you so much for listening and please um, continue with the podcast. Yeah.